Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today joined by two very special guests, Lee Marie and Eric Bernhardson. Eric, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Excited to be here. So we're excited today to talk about all things data tooling. I have to say it's our first episode on the category. And perhaps let's start with introductions. Lee, why don't you introduce your background and how you got so excited about the space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, uh, I'm an investor at Founders Fund. Uh, prior to Founders Fund, I was an early engineer and then product manager at CLAI. I guess sort of my my data journey. Um, I uh, you know studied math and machine learning in college. Obviously, when you're in college, everything is very easy uh, in terms of data is very clean, uh, and so you don't really learn how challenging it is to set up a data stack. Um, so when I got to scale and was working with our customers and just realizing how challenging it was to, to solve problems with data, uh, there's just so many infrastructure challenges, analytics challenges. Uh, and so kind of learning more and more about that, realized how early we are in having tools that can solve a lot of the problems in the space. Uh, and then at Founders Fund, kept hearing pitches about data platforms. And so wanting to dive in and really discover what that meant um, and what sort of would be the dominant data platforms going forward. Awesome. Well, and, and uh, I, my background is a little bit different. I studied physics back in Sweden, but um, did a lot. Of, I always grew up coding, uh, joined Spotify pretty early and uh, built a music recommendation system there. And despite not really knowing much about machine learning, but, but, but that was like back in the wild west when no one really knew anything about machine learning. Uh, so, so I was at Spotify for six, six and a half years, built a, a lot of the music recommendation system, uh, also built a lot of the data platform there. I ended up open sourcing a thing called Luigi, which was like one of the first, I think, open source workflow orchestration systems that gained any sort of significant traction. Uh, left in 2015 to join a company, a very tiny company in the mortgage space called Better, where I took a CTO role. And then I grew that team to about 300 engineers. And then I left uh, earlier this year. Uh, thinking, you know, if I never start a company, if I don't start a company now, I'm never going to do it. So I, I just have to do it at some point. And um, uh, having spent most of my career in one shape or form in, in the data space, uh, that's basically right now where I'm like very focused. I'm hacking on a bunch of prototypes and trying to make sense of like, where do you start pretty much? Let's set the scene a little bit uh, or set the stage um, when we're talk- talking about the data tooling landscape. What exactly are, are we talking about? Lee, Lee, could you take a stab? Yeah, absolutely. So. I like to think of it, let's kind of follow the, the journey of data uh, inside a, a company. So typically, you, you, get, you get data from lots of different sources, right? You have product analytics data, you have maybe data from you know, your sales team, marketing data. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of data <laughs> that, that is in a lot of different sources and that you want to ultimately use to make business decisions. But um, there's a lot of steps it needs to go through before it, it can be particularly useful. So you start with the data. Usually, the first person that is responsible for wrangling it into somewhat of a clean format uh, is a data engineer. So this person typically you know, has a lot of infrastructure expertise. They're they're going to need to make sure that you know latency and storage and all of these sort of infrastructure problems are solved um, when you're dealing with massive amounts of data. 
Um, and then once they clean it up a bit, it, it, it might go to a, a variety of different users. So maybe a data analyst who is now looking for patterns in the data or creating reports, um, a machine learning engineer, a data scientist, someone who's maybe modeling, you know, the, a particular, you know, let's say, for example, uh, using product analytics to model what sorts of behaviors lead to churn. And then the final sort of consumer uh, is probably somebody who's, you know, using it to make a business decision if the model isn't just part of the product itself. Um, it's like a product manager uh, or an executive or maybe somebody on the, the sales team. I guess, Eric, anything you kind of want to add to that? No, I, I think that's right. Like, and, and I think you talked about it mostly from a perspective of like, you know, making business decisions based on data, which I think is the most important thing for most companies. And then you kind of mentioned it a little bit too, but like sometimes, you know, the, the, the core goal is to actually like let data drive your product, which is a little bit different. Like you're building a music recommendation system is, is like one example, right? And, and then, you know, you might have like, a, you know, a machine learning team or whatever. Uh, so, so that's maybe a couple more roles to, to add to that roster. And, and could you maybe give a bit of an overview of how this this has changed over time? Like if they were sort of like different waves of these kinds of companies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when, when I look at it, I started working at Spotify in 2008. And that was like the golden days of like Hadoop, which was this like terrible distributed system to, to do, uh, to process data. And, and in a way, it was like, you know, it still was like extremely valuable because it was like the really like the only thing that worked back then and then i think in order to 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 write like a simple query like you know how many uh, users uh, churned yesterday you basically had to write initially a whole like java code you know 200 lines of java code and then eventually like people started writing building wrappers and python whatever but but so that's like kind of back in the days how, how it started and then of course like if, if you if you had an insane budget you can always go to oracle and, and buy like a, a cluster and then over time i, I feel like you know like there's been a shift in the last like five, 10 years, like towards more like data warehouses. So that this shifted to, to more like SQL, which is open like a whole new consumer base. A lot of product analysts and, and other types of people are, are now running queries much easier. I, I think, you know, putting things in the cloud has, has helped a lot with that. And, 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 and I think, you know, we're, we're still sort of, in my opinion, not even halfway, like probably just like a quarter through that sort of transition towards like, you know, commoditization of tools and, and building things that are easy to use. Uh, but it's like a whole new world already. Like it's just so much easier to work with data. Still pretty hard, but like so much easier in the last 10 years, which is exciting. You know, it's it's kind of uh, challenging for me to even imagine a world where, you know, you didn't have something like a snowflake or a five trend or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible for so many years. It was like the dark ages, right? And like, you know, companies like Spotify, we like valued data so much. It was like so important to us uh, that we did it anyway, but it was extremely painful. Yeah. Lee, we, we just gave a um, sort of general market map for, for people who are really outside the space and, 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 and maybe still slightly confused. Can we go deeper on some of the spaces? And, and by deeper, I mean, maybe give like an explain it like a five version of, of, of some of these subcategories. Can, can I just add that, like, it's not just people that are outside the space that are confused. Like, I'm inside the space, kind of, and I'm, like, insanely confused. There's, like, the, you know, when I look at the market landscape, there's about 20,000 products. Well, Yeah, no, it's it, it's incredible. And, I mean, part, part of my motivation for 
Um, I, you know, I wrote, wrote a blog post where I kind of divided all of these tools in, into major categories based on end user, because otherwise it's just very, very challenging to orient yourself. So I guess, you know, the way that I like to think about it is for each particular persona on a data team, whether it's a data engineer, a data analyst, a machine learning engineer, or, you know, somebody as far downstream as a product manager, like what tools make their jobs much easier. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're a data engineer, you just have so many different infrastructure challenges and there's, <laughs> there's so many different categories. Like for example, maybe you want to be able to serve real-time predictions um, or like have, you know, data operate on data streams. Uh, you know, there've been multiple products that have popped up to, to help with that. Um, you know, maybe you want to make sure that there's no inconsistencies in your data. So there's been this sort of new emergence of the, the data quality category, you know, these tools that can automatically sense when, you know, your, your data is, is bad in some way, whether it's inconsistent or, you know, the di- distribution is changing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we'll have time to go through all the kind of different, I would say, subcategories, but um, I like to think of it in terms of people and the, the few the problems that they have of getting the data from the format that they receive it to something a bit more readable to give to the next sort of person. Yeah. And so if, if you imagine um, in, in the next few years, how the space might evolve, it, 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 do, you, do you imagine evolving just as, as new positions are evolve or are created or uh, how do you see that? Yeah. I mean, and I, I've talked about this with, with Eric quite a bit, but uh, you know, ultimately it, it, you'll hopefully the stack will consolidate quite a bit. Um, so right now I think people are, you know, taking a ton of different tools off the shelf to these very specialized point, um, solutions, but over time, imagine the, the sort of most dominant tools will begin to become more useful for their persona or potentially expand outwards. And so if you think about some attributes of tools that might lead to this, which of these tools are very collaborative, right? Like which of these tools involve multiple personas, um, maybe even a technical and a non-technical persona. Like I think a good example here is a data catalog, which is basically an interface for you to see, you know, where is your data coming from, the lineage of it, um, who is, you know, using using the data the most. Uh, I think that's a really exciting category. And then, you know, I think you'll also see tools that, uh, as, as Eric was saying, that are abstracting away a lot of sort of the the developer ops or other types of special specialized engineering that make their end users much more productive, um, those will continue to sort of dominate as one of the more successful data platforms. So that's some sort of predictions that that I think will end up happening. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think kind of like my sort of point of view on that is like there's so many like specialized roles in the data landscape today. And, and maybe this is like a terrible analogy, but I, I almost feel like it's like, you know, you're like in the late 1800s running like a textile mill or whatever. And then like electricity comes and like suddenly you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, you know, build my own generator. I'm going to have to like make power lines. I'm going to have to like do all the switches and that kind of stuff. So you have to hire all these like experts for that. And then like over time, I feel like, you know, with, the, you know, with new technologies, like those things tend to commoditize. Like, you know, suddenly there's a power company that could just run lines through textile. Mill. And, and I feel like. It's a little bit similar thing with, with, with sort of, you know, developers, like, you know, the, the textile mill, like person, you know, who, who runs it is like, actually, I shouldn't be in the business of doing this. Like, I'm an expert at like making fabric. And, and, and I think there's a little bit of a similar thing where like tech companies, 
you know, over time that, you know, what is the value of, of, of developers? The, the value of developers is to ex take business logic or, or, you know, business logic and express it in code. But, but now, because there's so much like complexity around working with the data, it's gotten a lot less, but it's still a lot of complexity, you know, they, they get sucked into so much like infrastructure and configuration and resource management and provisioning. And, and that to me, like strikes me as like a very huge opportunity where I, I, I think there's going to be both sort of despecialization of roles, uh, but also sort of a commodity, uh, consolidation of the stack in, into fewer players and, and you know, better tools that, that take care of larger parts of the stack. Uh, if that makes sense. I don't know what you think about that, Lee. No, I mean, that, that, that totally makes sense to me. It's interesting. I think back um, to, my, to my time at scale, and uh, there's probably three engineers, like the, the, the infrastructure lead, uh, a particular engineer who understood how our ML stack worked, that you know, if they weren't there for whatever reason on a day when something went down, I'm, my job that day was to figure out where they were. <laughs> And to, and to get them to help us uh, figure out how to, how to get things up again. So it's just like there's this still, even with all these new tools and how the, the ecosystem has evolved, still very, you have to be an expert in certain types of tools to uh, make sort of sense of, of large amounts of data and have systems uh, up and running. Let, let's uh, let's zoom, zoom back in. Why are there so many different data roles? What, what are the, uh, the resulting problems and benefits? My theory is that it's very hard still to work with data. And, and so you kind of need an expert, you know, on the infrastructure side, you need an expert doing machine learning, you need an expert, you know, uh, understanding business need and translating that to SQL and, and packaging it so business people can understand it. You need people building the pipelines. And so, you know, and, and all of those things are kind of hard to do. And, and so, so, you know, it's rare to, to come across people that, that know like, you know, two or three of those things It's sort of exponentially harder and harder. And then, so you end up, you know, kind of instead opting for sort of specialization where you hire one person for each of those things. Uh, I, I think, I think, you know, on, on, the, on the landscape side, this is sort of maybe a separate thing, which is happening, which is that I, I think tools right now, in, in many cases are result of sort of commercialization of open source projects mainly. And, and they tend to be a little bit more like sort of, you know, widget type tools. They sort of, you know, come, come out of like a, a need to solve like one particular kind of sub problem. And, and I think that also drives a little bit of fragmentation on the tool side, uh, which doesn't help with, with, you know, when you have already a problem with specialization on the, on the uh, talent side. So, so it's sort of, Two things that I think are, are both sort of reinforcing this, I think. Yeah. I mean, as an investor, really excited to, to see tools that, that are less specialized, that, that maybe can involve uh, multiple users in the sort of, you know, data life cycle. And, you know, thinking back to my time as a, as a product manager, uh, an unintended side effect of a lot of this specialization is just how challenging handoffs become. So, you know, scoping something that involved like a new data source, a new model, um, an A-B test, maybe you're also using machine learning or you're having to like write some report. I mean, it could take weeks or months, even at a startup where, you know, I would say velocity is pretty high. So, you know, a lot of specialization means a lot of coordination and um, really excited to, to hopefully with, with better tooling, kind of avoid some of it. Why is the startup ecosystem and data stack so fragmented and expansive? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I mentioned some of it. it. Like one thesis I have is that a lot of it is a sort of commercialization of uh, open source open source project. I, I think maybe another thing, like I don't know, this is like a sort of broad accusation that maybe it's harder to 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 prove, and, and maybe people will disagree with. But like I, I feel like a lot of companies I look at like are not maybe trying to answer uh, uh, like, a, you know, they don't have an ethos. Like, what are we actually solving for? It feels like more like they're like, we have this product and we want to make it better by adding more features. Uh, but but what's the actual goal? Is it to, you know, is it to enable more, uh, you know, more productive teams? Is it to reduce uh, downtime? Is it to, I, I, I don't know. So I, I think there's a little bit too many like widgets and like very specialized sort of features in, in the space. Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because, I mean, teams, I think, are getting more and more used to just buying a lot of different, even closed source solutions, right? Like you look at um, not data, but let's say observability or monitoring. Um, the average company probably has multiple solutions that they're using for that. Yeah, I was kind of doing a deep dive into, you know, Datadog and New Relic and a lot of these new startup um, competitors, and people are totally fine paying for 10 different solutions, um, so definitely uh, companies are used to uh, kind of just adding more and more and more, which which doesn't really help here. I, I think an interesting thing is like when I look at fragmentation of a space, part, part of me actually gets excited. I, I spent six years in the mortgage space and like mortgages are like notoriously fragmented. There's like 10,000 mortgage lenders in America. And, and part of it is like so far there hasn't existed any scalability advantages and, and so maybe it's a little bit different but like but what i what i think it's like a, a sign of often when i see fragmentation is that demand is there but supply is not very good and 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 so i think that applies to both mortgage companies but also data landscape very clearly is that there is very clearly demand for better tools and the reason why we haven't seen you know sort of winner takes all effects quite yet is that none of the tools are like you know, often in many of the sub segment, it's not true in maybe all segments. Like there are certain tools that are like getting, you know, increasing traction. But but in, but in many sub segments, you don't really see that, and and that's why I think you see a lot of fragmentation too. Is is that you know none of these tools are like that great. Like they're like good, but not like amazing. Yeah. Well, when we zoom back out again and talk about what are some of the most excited categories of startups here, or or maybe some of the biggest pain points felt across the stack. Uh, sorry, I mean, I, I think it's like all over. Like, I, I think I, th I think at a meta level, it's like you know, sort of consolidation of the stack into like fewer layers. Uh, I mean, getting more specific, I, I think things that I'm excited about is you know, how do how do we get rid of this like infrastructure garbage, like all the sort of you know, pain that that data teams are dealing with, you know, around Kubernetes and Terraform and AWS and, and Docker and that kind of stuff is something I'm very interested in. I'm interested in workflow scheduling, like automation of like complicated data tools uh, or, or data pipelines. I, I think I think there's a lot of stuff around like machine learning, where like right now it's like you kind of have to build everything yourself. But I feel like th there might be more like off-the-shelf type tools that could like be like good enough for a lot of use cases. Like one of the things that I, I, I've been thinking a lot about is like LTV prediction. Like a lot of companies have, have problems around like, you know, just putting in a value of like an LTV, a lifetime value on a customer based on, you know, maybe data they've observed so far instead of estimating the future LTV. That, that to me strikes me as a problem. Like you could probably like kind of solve that as a black box reasonably well in a way that like most companies could just like buy a service for it. But, but I think there's other things like that too. 
I've been sort of interested in this like idea of like a probabilistic knowledge graph. You, in a lot of cases, you can actually, you know, do machine learning on, on sort of, you know, the structured data pretty well and, 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 you know, get a lot of value out of it. You know, and multimodal data could be images or text or whatever. And, and I think, you know, without really knowing what, you, you know, the machine learning under the hood. And, and, and I think there, there's some exciting things there, I, I think, longer term, where, like, I, I see sort of machine learning getting a little bit more accessible. Uh, of course, if you really, really want to do, like, machine learning well, you're always going to have to build your own algorithms. But, but I think for a lot of people, you might not need to in the long run. Yeah, with ML in particular, it seems like right now you have two choices. It's either you... Uh do absolutely everything yourself or, you know, integrating a lot of different point solutions and uh, putting them together yourself, or you have these very, very general um, auto ML services. Uh, and so I think, yeah, Eric, Eric's totally right. Talking about sort of what's the middle ground. Can you figure out use cases that are broadly useful for people um, and maybe not even have to, you know, have a ML engineer, you can have someone semi-technical um, that can that can set up something very general for predicting LTV, right? So that's that's definitely super exciting. Uh, I think uh, I talked about these a bit uh, earlier, but you know I'm really excited about tools that are collaborative that that foster interaction um, between technical and non-technical users. Really interested also in kind of giving you know specialized engineering superpowers um, to to people that that might not be specialized in that form. So super excited about sort of ML prototyping tools where, you know, you take an ML engineer, maybe they don't know anything about front end, um, but you give them some sort of way to create uh, an early version of an ML app that they can share with others um, or even potentially deploy themselves. Um, and so you're taking out, you know, the need for them to have a specialized uh, infrastructure engineer or front end engineer working alongside them. Um, so yeah, super excited about stuff like that. Yeah, I I, I think the 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 point about like uh, collaboration tools, I I think to me is quite interesting. I, I think right now that this is sort of you know so many handoff points, and and what I often see at teams that you know I'm definitely guilty of this is you know an engineer or a, a data scientist will generate a chart and then, you know, screenshot that and put it in a Google slide document and then annotate that and send it to some third party who will like add some comments in it and, and then email it around. And like, I, I don't know, this is sort of almost like an assembly line of information and insights and, and you know, and, and, and owning the feedback loop, like how, how sort of information disseminates throughout the organization that, that I think is quite interesting. It feels like, you know, how, how do you package insights and, and, and how do you share it and, and how do you do that end to end from the data scientist without having to like change the format like three times? I, I think there's some interesting opportunities there. Yeah. And also, um, I think a, a blog post that you wrote earlier about sort of how do you uh, build and grow a data organization, uh, not only those sorts of problems, but also what, what happens when you know, you're someone who is non-technical, maybe you're on the operations team and you need data to make some sort of decision, um, but there's no sort of resourcing for you from the data team. You're just going to try to do it yourself. And that leads to also a lot of potential, um, you know, bugs or things that are built that are very brittle and ultimately wasted time. For sure. What about more broadly, what uh, what tips and insights for, for people building uh, data tooling startups? Yeah, I, I think I think one thing that 
I feel like a little bit sometimes happening is like people sort of index a lot to the existing tools and existing roles and existing organization structures and and try to optimize for that. Like, you know, for instance, right now, I feel like there's a lot of startups, you know, trying to make, you know, data run on Kubernetes. And I'm like, I don't know, like, what's the underlying problem? Is Kubernetes the right tool? Like, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe it is. Like, I, like and, and I think, and, and, and maybe that's like a bad example. And, but, but I think to me, it's like worth sort of going like a couple of like whys be, below that. Like what, what is the underlying problem to actually solve? And, and you know, and, and maybe the right, you know, maybe you need to rethink how we do these technologies. And, and I think that's like, you know, uh, going to be interesting to see how, how all these companies play out. Because if you're, if you're sort of building a startup you know, on top of an existing platform, and then that platform goes away. I'm not specifically talking about Kubernetes; and many other examples too. Uh, how are you going to react to that? I think. I think the other thing is is sort of, you know, thinking about this defragmentation of the landscape and and consolidation of layers. Like, how do you position yourselves? Like in a world where you know there's going to be probably increasingly like winner takes all effects and 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 more like full stack services, like, how do you do? Like, do you partner with other companies? Do you, do, do you try to like buy them? I, I don't know. I, I think that's going to be like an interesting sort of uh, story to play out in the next few years. Like what, what's going to happen uh, with, all, with that landscape? Yeah, I think thinking about, you know, if it, no matter if you're starting a startup or you're growing your startup, what is your strategy, right? Like, I, I do agree that there will be a smaller number of startups than, than there are now in the, in the, in the long run in these sort of areas. Um, so you, what are you as one of these startups, what is your moat? What is your plan to, or what is your plan to develop a moat? Like, is it that your, you know, tech is 10 X better than everybody else's? Is it that you're going to create some brand for yourself um, that nobody else can match? Are you like going about counter positioning in the right way um, against incumbents that just fundamentally can't, you know, switch to the pricing model that you've, uh, that you've developed, for example. Um, so just really kind of answering that question early on and making it very clear, you know, to, to people that you're hiring or VCs or whoever, what your, what your moat really is, uh, I think is, is, is helpful. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Maybe to, uh, to, to add towards closing here, we, uh, what are other predictions we have for, for the future or perhaps, uh, just, because you spoke about it a little bit, what are other misconceptions um, people have about the space when they're when they're investing in it or, or, or thinking about where it's going? Uh, Lee, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like the investing angle of it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily consensus among investors that there will be a lot of consolidation. I guess kind of at least if you look at uh, the number of startups and the amount of funding in some of these sort of point solution areas, you know, it it, it doesn't always makes sense. I think when it, when, when you're uh, thinking about, you know, all the sort of successful elements um, to growing a startup, I mean, one of them is timing. And so I'm always thinking about like, you know, is it the right time for a really sophisticated point solution in a, in a certain area? Um, and yeah, I, I guess that, that that's one sort of thing that I'm always noodling on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm maybe, I'm, I might start with my most controversial predictions that, you know, if you listen to this podcast 10 years into the future, uh, feel free to reach out to me if I'm wrong about this. I, 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 like one of the things is like, I, I think 
there's been a lot of success with like open source tools, but but like my feeling is actually we're kind of past the peak of open source as a business model. Like I think it made a lot of sense like five, 10 years ago when there wasn't really a good distribution method for software. And, and the main one that existed was like, here's an open source thing, install it yourself. And, and you, you know, so, so we have a generation of like Confluent and, and Mongo and, and a few other ones like doing really, really well. But, but I'm not necessarily convinced that, you know, if you're a VC and, and, you know, you find out about the commercialization of some random open source package and, you know, it has like 10,000 stars on GitHub, that, that's necessarily like, you know, a, a strong investment thesis at this point, like that it's not necessarily going to be successful. I, I think the world is a different place right now. And for a lot of things, I actually think it makes more sense to, to build it in a proprietary way. Uh, so, so that's like one thing I think. Another like semi-controversial thing is like, I, I, I I've been a big fan of SQL, like, and I've always like kind of, I wrote a long rant blog post once about SQL, like how much I love it and how much every other garbage query language should, should go away. On, on the other hand, though, like, I wonder if it's like, you know, the pendulum has swung a little bit too far. Like, I feel like 10 years ago, like people was, you know, maybe 15 years ago, people were trying to do everything in, on the database. Like they, they, they're trying to, you know, use uh, triggers and store procedures and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and it turned out that like putting business logic in SQL maybe isn't a great idea always. And, and so I, I, think, I think in the long run, like code is a better way to express business logic. So, so I predict a little bit of sort of a, you know, a trend back towards uh, a code. And, and then like another, you know, I, I, semi-controversial or maybe not, I don't know, maybe this is like mainstream now, but, but I, I think... I think there's been a lot of hype around like AI and machine learning and, and, and I think it's fine, right? Like there are some like really cool things you can do, but, but I think relatively speaking, I, I think there's more room for like sort of boring uh, data science tasks. Uh, and that's not to sort of diminish their value. I actually find them like, you know, personally, like very interesting, but like things like, you know, building pipelines or, uh, you know, building metrics or, or dashboards or, 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 or just doing, you know, product analytics. I, I think in a way, when I look at like the sort of legacy companies, you know, if you go to like a big bank or, uh, you know, they, they often have a bunch of like sort of pet AI projects going on, but like nine times out of 10, I don't think they know where in that conversion flow users are experiencing the most friction and dropping out. Like, I, I think there's so much like basic product analytics and, and you can almost like tell when you're using some of these products, right? Like, trying to register a bank account online. It's just like a terrible experience. And so to me, I, I think there's just so much basic product analytics that the world is still not doing uh, that I, I think, you know, that's where I see a little bit more of growth and data demand in the next 10 years. And then maybe finally, like, you know, more of like a positive prediction is, is that I think we're like so early in cloud adoption and in data adoption. Like, I, I think... I think, you know, I look at the cloud and, and, you know, we've been, you know, using it for 10 years or something like that. And, and I think it's amazing how many tools we have now and how much more productive as an, I am as an engineer. But I really think like that the tools we have are still pretty early stage. Like they're still kind of hard to use. And, and they, I don't know if they, are, they make me as productive as I, as I should be. They definitely make, me, make it possible for me to build very scalable, very high performing things. Uh, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of frustration. So I, I think, and, and then I, you know, look at like just you know how many companies are still running things on on the on prem, and, and you know, and and how many, 
you know, the, the tools people are still building in-house that really should just be factored out in, in, into SaaS products. I, I think just, just, you know, probably 10x upside for, for the cloud in, in terms of market size from here. Oh, yeah. No, I com- completely agree with that. Um, it's it's really interesting um, seeing sort of, I guess uh, I'll go in order, but sort of your point about how ML is definitely only one tool in in the toolbox, and sometimes uh, it's made out to be like it's going to be the tool. And uh, you know, you see tons and tons of startups doing um, sort of small things in the ML stack. Uh, I do think that there are probably only I don't know. I think there are only a few sort of core. ML categories that that really make sense um, given the, how early people are in their ML adoption. The really basic it, like infrastructure stuff um, versus some of the, the the fancier stuff. And then you know you're you're seeing how early people are in their in their cloud journeys. Um, so a lot of the current tools that they're using today, uh, it's probably a bit out of necessity. Um, like for example. You know, you hear about so many different problems with uh, the cloud providers' offerings, um, and I, I imagine a lot of successful startups over the next few years will be uh, look at this particular solution and this cloud provider. It's really incredible the run rate of some of these these solutions, uh, and can you spin that out uh, into a separate startup? Address some of the the core developer pain points. Uh, you'll probably have a very successful company. So that I think it'll be really cool seeing over over the next years more developer friendly, cheaper, um, sophisticated ways of of solving core uh, infrastructure problems. Yeah, and and just to expand on the point about like machine learning and AI versus like more like boring stuff, because I I think you said some really insightful things, um, Lee. Is is I, I almost feel like in a way a, a lot of it comes back to like you know org changes needed. And, and like ways we, we, we operate and, and like, you know, think about it, like, let's say you're like a chief marketing officer at like a large financial institution, like data, like product analytics is kind of a threat to you, actually, like, because your job for the last 20 years has been to like have all the answers and like work with agencies and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and whereas like, I think, I think re changing, you know, changing the, the, you know, to different model of how we build consumer products to be data driven suddenly means you don't know anymore have the answers. And, and I think from that point of view, like I think I think data, like using data to make business decisions or or, or building consumer products or whatever, it 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 needs it necessitates a bigger change in in org structures and, and workflows than maybe saying, oh actually we should use machine learning to power our chatbots. And and so I think for, for that reason, there's been a lot of buzz, I think, in legacy companies to, to adopt, you know, AI or machine learning, whatever, because in a way, it's like easier for them to sort of conceive of that. But but I think there's a much, much bigger uh, upside in, in, the, in the more painful transformation of like, how do you how do you go from sort of a, a pre-data decision-making process to like, you know, post-data decision-making process? And that, I think, is going to be ultimately extremely good for consumers and, and you know, anyone using these products. Yeah, I guess so far we have talked a lot about tooling and infrastructure, but it is also a people problem. <laughs> like uh, it is, it is a behavior shift to go from you know I'm an executive and I'm just making these decisions because I know um, versus I'm an executive and I'm making these decisions because I have a report that shows that this is the right decision, um, and also I'm going to measure like it after the fact to make sure it was the right decision. 
and yeah. <laughs> and yet I was talking the other day about you know why why aren't there very many product manager tools um, like tools that tell you what to prioritize next? And I think a lot of it is a behavior thing. Like, do you you as an executive or a product manager, whoever's making a prioritization decision, you know, if you had a perfect tool that could surface exactly the decision you should be making, um, would you use it? And that, yeah, I think that that educating people is a lot of the problem there. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting way to phrase that question because because I, I think people, if you ask them, will say yes. Mm-hmm. But like in secret, they'll probably say no, right? Like they may not want that tool. Right. Or like you'll, you'll have it and yeah, you, you won't understand how to, how to use it properly or yeah. I think it's very interesting that there hasn't been um, outside of like the, the project management tooling. Um, I mean, you see some startups in the space, but there's currently no magical product Oracle tool where you like put in all of your, your data or like your KPIs and then it outputs you know, what you should do next. Yeah. Lee, Eric, this was a, a fascinating deep dive into uh, data tooling. For, for people who, who want to learn more uh, about the space or, or follow your work individually, uh, where might you point them? Uh, Lee, let's start with you. Uh, definitely uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I kind of post, uh, I've been starting to, to blog a bit. Um, so post, post everything to there. Uh, and then, yeah, my email is also on my Twitter. Yeah, I, I have a blog, which I, I occasionally write things to. It's ericburn.com, E-R-I-K-B-E-R-N.com. And I know on Twitter, I'm, I'm Bernard, so I'm just my last name, uh, which, you know, occasionally I, I write a lot of random thoughts about data tooling, uh, not all of which are correct, but, but uh, you know, sometimes uh, it can be uh, a source of uh, heated debate on Twitter. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, Lee, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you so much for hosting us. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.